Hey Mike, how are you going? Hello everybody, it's Matt again and back here for Insane Transformations. How are you going Mike? Yeah, really, really good. Just uh, in the process of getting this move finished up, so excited to um, get that closed off. Oh, what did you think of the vineyard, by the way? Matt and I just had a walk through the vineyard. It's fantastic. We have a view of um, a, a ripening uh, set of vines that are probably going to produce the best Chardonnay that the suburb of Curtin and Canberra has ever seen. When I when I pick them and do the stomp, it, you have to stomp on them, right? Is that... Well, I just drink them, but yeah, <laughs> do whatever you want. But when I, when I pick them, should we throw those in the bathtub and you and I can just take turns stomping on the grapes? Or how... If that's a tradition in your family, how... that's, that's okay. <laughs> That's, that's that's fine. <laughs> Good stuff. Where, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Mike, I the internet is an amazing place to get lost in, and one of the things that fascinates me, besides the fact that I have a long lost re- uh, relative in Ghana or Nigeria regularly, who's after my money, but that's cool, um, is you know, I, I see a lot of advertisements for training you know become a better this become a better that you know become an expert in in some type of of skill and and i'm sort of wondering it's that if you take a horse to a trough you know will it drink so if i take mike to a course what is going to make you successful is sitting through a course for four days because you have to be there not because you want to be there is that going to lead you to becoming even half competent when you walk out of that course or any course? What are your thoughts on this are, competence? Can, can we use stress positions? I mean, I think I've got a stress position right now that says if, if you put me in front of any sort of pollen, I will 100% do anything you tell me to. So if, the, if it's a four-day course and it involves uh, someone, I don't know, waving a pollen flower in front of me, uh, I'll probably learn whatever I need to learn. Mm, does, mm. It, does that, maybe, maybe that doesn't answer the question. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So, but I suppose the point that I'm, I'm laboring at, and you know, it's quite clumsy, is that, you know, self-development as a concept has two words. One's self mm-hmm. and the other one's development. You know, I think there is a tendency for people of all ages, you know, all generations sometimes to be spoon-fed, mm-hmm. you know, to... The expectation is that, well, I, I don't know. Somebody else can do this because I, I don't know this. Where, you know, there's a theory, it's an old theory kicking around and it's, it's simply it's self-efficacy. Mm-hmm. Not self-esteem, mm-hmm. it's self-efficacy where the responsibility for the doing is coming back on you, the self. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think that's something that's worthwhile reflecting on right now in COVID land because there is a lot of dialogue there's a lot of talk about you know what's someone going to do about something you know we've we've, well well, I don't know my question to you Mike is you know what are you going to do you know so the self-efficacy thing you know um, the great uh, psychologist Bandura Mm -hmm. you might remember remember him from the famous Bobo doll experiments (laughs) experiments <laughs> yeah if yep. you haven't seen the bobo doll experiments b-o-b-o go and have a look at it and uh, realize that probably ethics committees being what they are today would probably not uh, pass that experiment but what yeah so bandura had a theory about you know personally you know self-development and it was called self-efficacy and it, and it had four components and I wouldn't mind you know running through each 
of those components, you know, he's getting your views on it. But just if you haven't heard before, the first component's called mastery. The second one's vicarious experience. The third one's social persuasion. And the fourth one I'm just going to call enhancing well-being. So they're the four things that Bandura said added up to self-efficacy. But So what I wouldn't mind is sort of kicking it back to you, Mike, and seeing what you've what your thoughts are about each of those elements. The first one being the mastering and experience. Mastery. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that play out anywhere? Yeah, I, I want to give a couple of business examples, mm. but I suppose what it makes me think of first um, is, uh, it's surprisingly, is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. Uh, Not surprising at all. <laughs> I... I, I don't know. I, and you, you mentioned training, and the, yep. one of the first things I thought of when you said training as well was was jujitsu, or jujitsu, if you're um, Brazilian. But yeah, I have never in any domain, in any experience I've ever had, seen the same level of mastery that I see and I experience on a daily basis in Brazilian jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, maybe this takes us into that, you know, this whole idea of the 10,000 hour rule and rule and things like that. But in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I'll just kind of give an example because I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that haven't, you know, messed around with, you know, Jiu Jitsu. Maybe you've seen, you know, some type of UFC fight or something like that. But in, in, in BJJ, you know, the objective is really to get your opponent on the ground to take away that negative energy to get past their legs or you know the really powerful legs mm. to get on top to administer a pin and then to work through a series of submissions or work through a series of pins to get a submission but the thing about BJJ and it reminds me of the like what you would see with the old movies of samurai and things like that mm. and it was always you you know you hear about there's a samurai master and he just defeats a thousand people and no one can beat him Brazilian jiu-jitsu is like that. You know, the, the best people, especially if you're sort of a white or blue belt or even a purple belt coming into a gym or something, the chances of you um, submitting or beating a black belt are almost nil. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. And that does happen occasionally, but it's almost impossible. You see a level of mastery where these people have so many hours, so many rounds, so many submissions, so many throws... Um, so many roles with different partners of different shapes and sizes and ages and strengths and everything that they can almost overcome you in any situation imaginable. And and I wouldn't, unless I'd experienced it firsthand, unless I'd gone through this, I would have thought that this was BS. But mm. it, it's it's almost a certainty that if you step foot on a BJJ mat or a mat that the jiu-jitsu practitioner, you know, even someone who's been practicing for a few years is going to just simply own you. Mm. Um, so in terms of mastery, yeah, I, I, I think jiu-jitsu offers probably the best example that I can think of for that. Yeah, so to me, um, and, and by the way, um, listeners, um, I have been to a Brazilian restaurant <laughs> once, and I, and I ordered the wrong thing. So, But for me, you know, I could put me in a, a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, dojo, if that's the right word, for 10,000 hours. And if I didn't have the right mindset, I suppose, is it, it, I, I don't think I'd come out as masterful as someone who did 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. So, so to, let's take that for a second. So you're yeah. saying 
if you if you sh- if you rocked up to a gym and you did 10,000 hours on the mats mm. you're saying if you weren't motivated and invested in developing that you would just after 10,000 hours you'd still be getting pulverized and submitted and passed as opposed to if you had an active interest in your own development yeah. you you okay so that's for me that's the deliberate practice you mm. know which is also aligned to you know self determination theory but yeah obviously we're throwing around the magic 10,000 hours i mm. think the point is uh, mastery is more than just doing and uh, and probably less sort of um, complex things like you know than Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, that the hours count but the mastery I think comes from mindset deliberate you want to be doing this I'm not saying Mike go out and do this task and become better at it um, you're, 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 you want to become a master mm-hmm. you're not becoming a master because everybody else is a master yeah, well, let's take that. Let's unpack that just a little bit. And I, I think this yeah, I th- this is actually a really good um, point to unpack. And, and this is where, and again, I'm going to start to sound dogmatic about jiu-jitsu really quickly, but I just that's all. Oh, no, I'd never say that. <laughs> By the way, he's in a jiu-jitsu suit, everybody. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's horrendous. Step on the mat with me and you'll find yeah, out why. Yeah. No, um, you know, when you compare other types of martial arts to jiu-jitsu, whatever you take, um, Shotokan, hey, I love you, Dad. Sorry. <laughs> Hmm. My, my dad's a black belt in, in Shotokan, so we have this debate all the time. But no, you take other uh, other martial arts and you, you, you want to compare the level of mastery with mm. one martial art to another. And I think you, I think you don't, again, you don't get the same type of mastery. And one, one of the reasons is because, you know, in jiu-jitsu, you are rolling every class. Rolling is um, wrestling, right? And you're wrestling yeah. with someone who is going as hard as they can. I mean, they might roll 80%, but they, they can go as hard as they want. They can go 100%. In other martial arts, you're not doing that. You might be punching or kicking in the air. There's maybe no real sparring. You can't do the death touch because, oh, your opponent, would their head would explode. But I guess when you take that into a business environment or business context or whatever, you're learning agile or you're learning uh, you know, about change management or something like that, and you go back to this idea of mastery, does that mean then that even if you have the intention but you're only ever doing dry runs in a classroom setting that you're not going to be as good as someone who's actually doing change management, facilitating real change projects on uh, in, in a real environment. Like it, yeah, the one, I used to say this to students in a class that I used to teach, that the one truism about being a pilot is eventually you have to land the plane. Mm-hmm. You know, so look... There is a need for um, for book learning. Mm. There's always a need for that. But you've made the point there that getting out and doing it mm. and making mistakes and learning from the mistakes is because you want to. Mm. You know, then there is another part of you know which brings us into a vicarious experience. But yeah, yeah. So I think the difference between those two people is that um, yeah, the person that spent most of the time in the theory will be good at theory, but. From a business perspective, you want a person that knows the theory, but also knows the nuances of what of how to implement that. And you know, from an academic perspective, the person who's going to do better is the person that can implement the theories and know that it is just a theory, mm-hmm. and it needs to be implemented not dogmatically, but in a way that suits the circumstance. And that's, I think, when from a business perspective, they're starting to show mastery. Mm. What are your thoughts on feedback loops? in developing that level of mastery. So you, again, you're running a, you know, you're doing a course 
uh, at a uni, you know, in, as part of a uni or executive development course versus you're running a real life organizational transformation project. What, what, what are your thoughts on the effect of a feedback loop, the length of that feedback loop um, in, in helping someone actually develop that mastery? Um, why stop at one feedback loop? You know, the reality is the more feedback that you can get is great. But again, we get back to the dog that chases a car. When the dog catches the car, what is the dog going to do with the car? So when you get the feedback from a mastery perspective, you know, do you shut down and sit in the corner and cry? I, I do personally a lot of times, especially yes. in jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yes, I just, I just beat him in a thumb wrestle. Um, or do you say, that is a golden opportunity for me to get better. Mm. So feedback in any pursuit, uh, business, family, life, sport, is, you know, from a development perspective, is crucial. You should be hungry for feedback, but you should have a plan to do something with the feedback. So it's it's, it's great to drink from the Kool-Aid of feedback, mm. but what are you going to do with it is, mm. is the issue. And who are you going to talk to about it? Yeah. Who's in your corner to do something with the feedback? So feedback loops are crucial, and they should be built into any project because without it, you could be going in completely the wrong direction and you may have seen that once or twice before i I see it in i would probably say well i mean not the projects that i run because i force feedback loops into those projects but i would say in almost every other project that i've ever come across i don't see any feedbacks feedback loops whatsoever you know this gets us into the realm of um balanced scorecards past present and future yeah. Um, you know, metrics, leading and lagging indicators. And, and again, I think part of the reason that people don't want feedbacks, uh, feedback loops or any sort of information coming back into them is because there are many times you're going to come face to face with the fact that you have made a bad decision yeah. or, or whatever. You've made a decision and you're not getting the result you want. Yep. And that's unless you've got uh, broad so- shoulders and you're actually you've got a bit of introspection, I think, and you actually want to improve you don't want to come face to face with that. Am I right? Yeah, and then you ignore it. And then it's like a garden, you know. If you water a garden, unless it's cactuses, it should grow. So if if you think about systems, you know, we're talking about feedback loops into a system. If there is no feedback into that system or into that, if we're looking even at the person as a system, it will suffer what's called entropy. And eventually that project will just become a zombie project Mm -hmm. because... The only person that gives a you know two hoots about it is the person who's blindly running the project without any feedback. Mm. So that's not mastery. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so can I play that back? So, yeah. w- what we're looking for then is we really want that interest in the actual development and the mastery, and we also want a feedback loop that's telling us whether or not we're on course, so we can make yeah. those course corrections. Yep. Along the way. Yeah. So it. it that's true, and that brings us to this the next part of, of Bandura's theory. We've sort of crossed over to, but we'll just quickly go through the vicarious experience. Hands up everybody or anybody who hasn't been the best at something in a business sense, in a sports sense, in any sense. You know, there's been somebody in the room that's better than them. You know, like there's no hands going up. I can't see any. Well, why is that? That's a great question, Matt. Because people at times... Um, feel inadequate to make an admission particularly in a dog eat dog business sense that I don't know Mm. from a vicarious experience perspective from Bandura's view was that 
if there's someone better than you at something, use that as an opportunity to learn. How did they do that? How did they, how did they nail that presentation? How did they cross-examine that client when it was the, you know, the impossible case? How did they do any of those things that you would like to do but can't do at the moment? So Bandura's thought there was, you know, sort of crossing back to what we were talking about feedback loops is if there's a gun somewhere in your team, don't be frightened of the gun. Mm-hmm. You know, seek that person out and see how they're doing it. Don't try and become them completely because that doesn't work either, but work out where they've met barriers and options for overcoming barriers. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, that's interesting. I Well, there's a couple things, I guess, to unpack there. there, there there's one example <laughs> with this. Well, first, I'll change the gender and the name. We'll call him Harriet. <laughs> and by far one of the worst experiences I've had. Uh, and actually, I think I wrote about this in one of the customer discovery articles I wrote about. Um, but it, this was a situation where we were talking about developing a low fidelity prototype for a new service that would potentially be going into a new market. Okay, And, and the issue here is if anybody knows, and I, I don't expect you to know, but if you're talking about building new products for new markets, there's a difference between building a product for a new market versus an existing market. And the idea is that if it's a, if it's a new market, it doesn't exist. You, you can't look up the stats or the data on that market and, and get some um, information to tell you whether or not you're moving in the right direction. And the whole point is the only way you can get data is to go out and test your hypotheses with customers. That's why it's called customer discovery. So we, we actually had this bit of an argument where she was asking me, what was going to happen with this product? And I said, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I, I'm sorry, I don't know. I have, I have no idea what's gonna happen. Well, how can you not know? You're the consultant. Because it's a new product in a new market. We're, we're just developing, it, mm. developing this and building this. And I said, do you know? Oh, well, that's not up for me to know. Well, it's not up for me to know either. So anyway, we had this big argument. But the point was, and this is one thing I stress for executives all the time is, get out of the building. Right? You, you have to get out of the building and get outside and discover this for yourself. That's part one. And then part two is it's okay not to know mm. because most of the time we don't know. Mm. I think in, in the majority of projects we do, I have absolutely no idea what the solution is going to be. I might have some thoughts about what a solution could be, but when you get out and you test things, oftentimes the solution is not anywhere. It doesn't resemble in any way, shape or form what the original solution was. So I guess there's a couple of things there. One, um, yeah, lots of experience where we've come across this situation where, look, we don't know, and it's okay if you don't know, um, but you've got to lean into that and face mm. into that and actually learn from that. Does that kind of give you a good example? Yeah. Um, so in that case, I suppose the, and by the way, we changed the name to protect the identities of, of, of everyone, including Mike, <laughs> M-I-K-E, not Matt, M-A-T-T. Yeah, uh, so in that case, you know, a better outcome for um, Harriet may have been to say, well, you're right, we don't know, we need to go and... Scary, not Harriet. Yeah, we need to go and find uh, somehow to be able to see somebody in action on this. Um, yeah, so for me... Um, the, the, the key takeaway from that experience for you was that um, the person that you were dealing with wasn't able to say they don't know. 
Uh, and for me, I've seen it in many, many, many cases where people have just tried to bluff their way through it and tell their team, oh, yeah, blah, blah, in, probably in another accent, um, not, not an Australian accent, by the way, um, that they don't know. Mm. Well, go and find the other person in the C-suite. Go and find the other line manager. Go and find the other person that does know and watch them and learn from it vicariously. Mm. It's free. That's why it's called vicarious. You know, so mm. you may not, you know, you could probably find something in a textbook somewhere at a university, but you can also go and find it across the, the next cubicle mm. or the next office. I think the point there, though, is when you're, if you're dealing, depends what type of project you're talking about, obviously, but... If you're running a transformation initiative, it may be that no one in the C-suite knows. And I guess what the point we're trying to make is that that is okay. But the only way you will know is you must get out. We call it going into the gimbal, right? Going into yeah. the place where work is done or doing a dialogue. A dialogue is a day in the life of you must get out and learn and figure out what it is you don't know. Yep. But that, that, and, and again, it's okay if someone doesn't know, but you have to face into the fact that we don't have all the answers, including yeah. the consultants, right? Yeah. And so, you know, more broadly, you know, in life, well, you know what? Your dad might know. Mm. You know, the, your teacher may know, but it also may be the person in the class that you least expect at uni, or it could be the person in your team that least expect. And you go and say, well, actually, <laughs> they're actually doing really well. I wonder what they're doing. But the, I, I do agree, and I emphasize the fact is that from a self-development perspective it's okay to say i don't know i'm wondering if i can go and find somebody else and and learn from them not get them to do your job mm -hmm. learn from them and learn from it you know so that's the self-efficacy spin on that one i think we've covered social persuasion pretty well but just to re just to sort of uh, just get back to that it's all about that feedback um the feedback loops in any growth whether it's in a project or whether it's professional development or personal development is important if you don't have feedback i can tell you you're punching in the dark so you know feedback embrace it and sometimes it actually you actually will need some coaching on how to take feedback mm. and i'm going to flip that around and have some coaching on how to give feedback you know so what about that first crazy idea in terms of feedback, Mike, of actually having been coached to take feedback? What does that mean to you? Well, I, actually, I was just going to ask you that question about what's a, what's a good way to to coach someone on how to take feedback. I mean, is it should should we should we sit on like I'm doing right now, literally sitting on my hands? Should I sit on my hands and and try to mirror and, and match someone and um, you know, build, get, get rapport with them before they give me any feedback? Is it just about smiling at them? I mean, what, what's a good... You're fired. That's my feedback. And I'm smiling at Mike. This is the worst podcast ever, Mike. That's why I'm, I'm looking at the coach. You're like, please coach me in how to take yeah. feedback. So, you know, what is feedback? You know, to some people, it's defusing a bomb with a spoon. You know, it is, you know... The expectation management is that the feedback is going to be terrible, and what's the what's the the common, you know, what, what's the common thing? Like, I'm going to give you ten positive things in the in my feedback, and one thing, which you're going to be perceived to be negative. What are you going to be focusing on? Can can we do this right now, live on the fly? Can you give me some feedback on the podcast right now as yep. a co-host? Let me hear it. Good, bad. Let's hear some feedback. Look, look, Mike. You, 
as a <laughs> as an amateur, you're doing okay. Um, your orange shirt uh, it, it makes me want to um, come and give you a hug. <laughs> so it's becoming quite engaging. But you know, we we probably need to to think about together tightening up some of the the loose ends. You know, so. But you know you're wearing a nice hat. Oh, thanks, thanks very much. Okay, yeah. So a bit of bit of opportunity in there, some things to improve, but at the same time, kind of reinforcing the things I'm doing right. Yes. Well, well. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, from my experience giving feedback to people, and, I, and you know, I'm thinking back to a, um, a large project that it was on. The only thing that people were interested in, and this is a big project, mm. it's fifteen thousand direct hire, was the negative thing in the feedback. Mm. Was what do people say about me? What how bad am I? Mm. And that seemed to be, and I, and I found that to be quite common. Now, my coaching perspective for people is that it's, it's first of all, it's just feedback. Yeah. Um, and it's what you do with it. It's important. So you need to have an open mind, calm down, and treat it for what it's worth. Uh, different perspectives on you on a day, you know, or over a week or whatever. But don't focus just on one aspect of it because it's negative. Mm-hmm. By the same token, if there's nine negative things and one positive thing, then we probably should be thinking about some other professional development. But I also think you know, coaching uh, managers, is it's how you set the feedback. Is And I always say that if the surprise comes on the 31st of December mm-hmm. uh, and you've spent the rest of the year not giving any feedback... Potentially, it's either going to be a champagne cork pop or the, or just a head will explode. So to front load um, feedback, I think you need to have regular mini feedback loops. Mm. So the, 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 you earn the trust of the person, you're earning the respect of the person and they actually want your feedback, mm. not have three gin and tonics to calm their nerves before they come in and see you. Uh, and I have seen, unfortunately, the situation where the only time that the manager gives feedback is that annual mm. annual re- review, which is just seen as being a slaughter session or you're useless anyway. Mm. And they've missed opportunities during the year to give feedback, yeah. positive or, you know, hey, we, you and I can do things better. What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think it sounds really good. I, I, I like to... This is me with my folks. I, I like to... Is it the one-minute manager that comes to mind? I, I like to give feedback immediately if some if there's a problem, and I like to give feedback immediately if they do something right, both sides. So it can be it can be something as simple as you showed up on time, and especially if that's a behavior that I'm trying to reinforce or use as a model behavior for other people. It's, hey, you know what, Jane, thank you so much for showing up on time. That's awesome, and you know you can tell there's a lot of people that. Um, they're quite cynical and who, who have had bad managers and bad leaders in the past, and they think it's a piss take. Mm. But then they realize, oh, actually, no, this guy's being genuine mm. or this gal's being genuine. And and once you start doing that and that becomes a habit, people actually do appreciate what you say and they know that you're being genuine and mm. you're being honest about it. And the same thing with negative feedback. You, you know, I like to pull my folks up straight away. You know, the way that we dealt with that client, the way that you, you know, argued about um, the fact that you were right and the client was wrong was suboptimal yeah and here's a way that we can change it for next time i'd like to see you do x y and z so i mean for me i think the big thing is i like to take it on straight away as soon as i see something i don't wait till the annual review and for me the annual review is really it's a chance for you to see all the cool stuff you did you're going to see little notes in there about things that you did improve and things you did well and things that you didn't do so well but by the end i would expect that all the stuff that you needed to improve was already improved because Mm. 
you chatted about it throughout the year yeah. or as soon as it happened. Yeah, and you know, just to sort of emphasize one of the points that you've made there is if it's done in the immediacy of the action, it's factual. Mm. You know, it's not something that's made up four weeks later. You know, so people re- I think people do react uh, well to uh, very prompt feedback. The only difference that we have, and this is just a style, is I always counsel people to praise in public and, and counsel in private. You know, obviously there, there might be a time when praising in public, you might know that your staff member doesn't like being praised in public, mm-hmm. you know, and there are people like that. But generally, the worst type of feedback to get is um, counselling feedback in a, in, a, in a meeting. And I know, you, you know, in, in, in our circumstances, I've seen you don't stop the client meeting and mm-hmm. start giving the feedback immediately. It'll mm-hmm. be done pretty soon after a meeting, but whilst it's still fresh in people's mm. memory, you know, it, it's no point giving that feedback in December when that happened in March. Mm, you know? mm, so, mm. Yeah, so that's that's the, the social persuasion perspective. And the last part of um, Bandura's theory was, I'm going to call it just enhancing your well-being or enhancing your physical capability. If you're putting mastery, all the things you have to do there, vicarious experience, and the social persuasion, which is, you know, the feedback loops into that mix, it becomes... You have the potential to enhance your well-being, mm-hmm. your mental health. Maybe it's a physical health thing. Maybe you're, you're, you're trying to master pace bowling, you know, in cricket or um, or, or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm. But when you think about that, you've got a positive mindset, and there is plenty of science around positive psychology being a really good enhancer for health. But also, you know, if you're getting off your butt, you're getting out, you're getting around, you're also having that, that you know, the effect on your own, your own um, physical health as well. So mm. the good thing about this particular theory is you can sort of see examples of all of it and you put it together. It's about you. It's about you not expecting to be spoon-fed and it's about you thinking about what you can do to self-develop and part of it, you know, one way of looking at it is Bandura's theory of self-efficacy. Mm. And what are, what are some examples of like, uh, you know, if someone's actually looking to track, you know, they are thinking about their mental health situation, they're dealing with a lot of stress. How, do you, I mean, from your kind of coaching and counseling sessions, how, how do you encourage people? Do you, again, do you encourage people to keep track of that? Is, or, and then um, do you well, the, give them a... Yeah, look, the first thing I would say, if you are suffering, look, it, it's okay to feel a little bit down by a setback at work, but when it becomes all pervasive mm-hmm. and when it starts to inter- interfere your life please see a mental health practitioner mm. that's and i'm going to say that a lot because you know you and i well unfortunately fortunately with our military mm. background we've seen people quote unquote soldier on mm. um so let's get adult about it the first thing that i always say is are you okay you know and, and i always make sure that the person is aware that if it's becoming a crushing burden, don't, it, it, we've waited too long. But, you know, if we're talking about um, something that's less extreme, if somebody wants to cure a habit, sure, um, keeping a journal is something that is helpful. I did this today. That was, you know, this is the lead up to it. I'm usually, whenever I get chipped in a meeting, I lose my temper. This is what it looked like. This is how I felt. You know, mm. So this is um, my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions. So they can then look back on that and say, "Well, actually, I didn't do so well today." Mm. Next meeting, 
someone challenged them. Difference here is that they waited and sat and thought about it, didn't lose their temper. Uh, so they've kept a record of um, their own record of how they are tracking their own behavioural change. Mm. So yeah, um, I certainly encourage people if they're because otherwise, how are you going to measure your goal? You know, yeah. My goal is to not lose my temper in a meeting so I can become a, a better co-worker. Well, ha- you need to be able to measure that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. my measurement would be simply I've devised my own way of recording that and reviewing that and then taking it up with my trusted advisor at the end of the week or month or whatever to say, hey, this is where I'm tracking. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts? Getting some feedback and then getting some uh, social persuasion. And Mike, you're actually doing really well. Yeah, you can see here you've been uh, keeping a record of this and I've sat in the meetings as well but yeah look full marks to you for being honest enough with your smiley faces as opposed to the skull and crossbones in the first few is that it's simple but that's mm. one way no, that, that have you sense. seen any other ways at all um, not not so much on the emotional side but I know that you know in terms of well-being and things like that people tend to I mean it depends sort of the direction you sort of point the emotion and the positive experience, whether you're kind of pointing it away from you or pointing it towards yourself or that sort of thing or deflecting, you know, the positive emotions. But as people develop competence and they get better within a specific domain and their self-efficacy increases, I think that well-being tends to increase as well. I mean, that's normally what I see. But I think in the beginning when people are struggling with new things and they're they're dealing with uncertainty and they're dealing with ambiguity and maybe they have a low tolerance for ambiguity then i think the well-being aspect of it tends to come into view a, a lot more yeah um, than in other situations. yeah and if the person is honest about it and we've said that they they're struggling fess up mm. i'm struggling with this you know we don't want to wait to see where it becomes a hr issue mm. or worse you know, a medical issue so uh, and I think we've covered that a lot, but again, that's that's a lead into if you are struggling, seek help. And if it's not life-threatening or threatening to your life, you know, persevere with it. But if you need professional help, be the person who's brave enough to go and seek that help. Mm. Your family will thank you for it. Mm. Um, but you are going to struggle mm. in terms of mastery, you know, I, oh, I've accumulated one hour in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> How many people give up you know, at that one hour? Most. Yeah. What's the difference between the people that give up and the people that don't get, give up? Uh, that's, I don't know. That's a really good question. It, it's self-efficacy <laughs> is the answer, Mike. Is it? <laughs> yeah, that's I, part of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think part of it is, but I'm just thinking about coaches. I'm thinking about the culture of the gym. I mean, maybe there has to be some side of us that's a yeah. little bit masochistic to stay in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because we like taking a beating. <laughs> yeah. We like having a lot of pressure on our chest or something. But well, if, you know, and, and I agree with all that. So that's the environment, but it's also the person. You yeah, know, we sure, could get sure. back to the Aristotle versus Plato, nature versus mm-hmm. you know, nurture. But it, that things like self-determination de- uh, theory, things like self-efficacy are nice ways of expressing what you need to do it's not a prescription you know there's not i can't take you down to the chemist and get you a script for self-efficacy mm. you need to be able to do that yourself but you're not alone mm. but at the end of the day if you want to win the olympic gold medal for um pole vaulting your coach isn't going to be on the pole with you that's called pole dancing 
So, you know, the coach is going to be with you all the way, but you are the person with the pole. You are the person running down the runway and you are the person launching yourself into the air. Mm. And think of all the hours that's gone up to that and think of all the time when think, Jesus, you know what, I should go and do, I should go and play croquet. But that person just perseveres because mm. they, you know, they want to become the best. They don't have to. Yep. They can give up. And there's plenty of gifted athletes that give up and that's not a bad thing because they want to do something else. Mm. But there are the other ones that just want to go all the way and they do that mastery. They get the, they look at the world's best sprinter. They look at the world's best jiu-jitsu person. So what can I learn from that? Uh, and they get the feedback and their fitness and their mental health is being tuned uh, by that whole experience, sitting inside other things like environment, like family life, like all the other things that you know, goes around a, a theory. Mm-hmm. But it's how you employ that theory and how you get help to employ that theory, I think is really important. Sounds okay. good. Okay, so thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. And I think, again, that just to hit that, I think it, when it comes up, it comes up a lot when we see executives shift from one domain to the next. So when you move from, from a telco to a financial services, this is really when you're going to get hit with challenges to self-efficacy. Um, is there, is there, um, I'm just wondering, are there like, on, like it could, could, is there like an online test or assessment? Like can someone jump on there and say, okay, I've got high self-efficacy or low self-efficacy or something? Wow. Yeah, there are. And, um, uh, maybe, maybe we'll I, see I, if we can find one. I'm staring at the window. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm not self-efficacy. <laughs> uh, thanks for uncovering that. Yeah, yeah but, yeah, and there are, but remember any of those tests that are self-administered, domain specific as well and yeah you know they are important but also remember that um sometimes you might be fudging the, i'm gonna go over that test seven times to see how yeah. get better. and they are just a tool but they are and there are free ones that are around that are actually quite good but don't treat that as being the roadmap for your life just treat it as being another piece of information and we'll put up on the website do we have a website? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we've got something. There. Yeah, some some suggestions to free things that you can do yourself, but but please, again, you know, be careful with what you do with it. Yeah, sure. Cool. Well, thanks guys for tuning in again for this session of the Insane Transformation podcast. Um, and again, you can find links or information to that in the um, in the link on the description within the website itself. So mikearossi.com. And um, otherwise, if you you know if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Please, you know, like or subscribe. Happy to get any sort of feedback. Again, even negative feedback is oh, no, okay. I don't want that. <laughs> if the negative feedback comes in, I'm giving it straight to Matt. <laughs> and then I'm just going to hit delete. <laughs> That's it. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And we'll see you again in the next episode. Cheers. Cool.